right. I know everybody is uh, accustomed to hearing this in the morning at 7.30 from 7.30 to 8.30, but we're breaking in. We're going to do a special live stream on YouTube and Facebook and a special podcast edition of Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. And we're going to have Lisa Van Riper, who's the president of South Carolina Citizens for Life, to join us here on the phone in just a moment. And the big news, if you haven't heard it yet, it's just now beginning to uh, to be released. The South Carolina Supreme Court has upheld the fetal heartbeat bill on a vote of four to one. So the law is going to become law in South Carolina, and we're going to be able to protect a lot of the babies that are whose lives are being taken through abortion. This has been an incredible fight. It's been an incredible journey. Um, there's so many people that have been involved in trying to make this happen, but probably no one any more than Lisa Van Riper, who is the president, of, as I said, of South Carolina Citizens for Life. And we're going to welcome her to the show this morning and get her reaction first off um, about this. Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning. Wow. What a day in South Carolina. Um, I don't know that we anticipated. I think there was a lot of optimism that maybe the heartbeat bill this time would be upheld but I don't know that anybody was really expecting four to one by the South Carolina Supreme Court. That was a surprise. I, I am always one that hopes for the best, hopes for the best, but prepares for the worst, Tony. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, honestly, we did not know what Justice Hill would do. We did not know for sure what Justice Few might do. Um, we knew, though, that the General Assembly had done all they could do. We also knew the, the our governor had done all he could do, and we knew our attorney general had done all he could do. So we, I think we just honestly knew we probably had two votes, but that's all we knew for sure. Right. Yeah. Well, we did from the last um, go-round, of course. We knew that the, uh, the last fetal heartbeat bill was overturned uh, three to two, and we knew that two of those justices were still on the court. So that, that was really the only confidence that we had. Um, this, this has been something that we've been working toward for a number of years. Um, we, we've been trying to chip away at abortion in South Carolina because that's what the law gave us, the opportunity to limit and to chip away. And then, of course, when we had the overturning of Roe versus Wade and it came back to us, we went through a process of almost two years where we were unable to get anything passed. We couldn't get the legislature to agree. And then in kind of dramatic fashion, this uh, past session, as the session was coming to a close, leaders in the Senate and the House got together, worked out this compromise that was able to pass both chambers and here we are with abortions being limited to a fetal heartbeat. Yes, and I think I think for the perspective of your listeners today, it's so important for them to understand the big picture here. That in 1973 with Roe v. Wade, a child was basically left at the federal level, and that was imposed upon every state that they were basically property of the mother. Right. And... And we were bound that we could have only limited action we could take as a state because we really were under judicial fiat um, by, I believe, we now know an unconstitutional 
decision. And so we have a, had a fundamental, I mean, we, we lived under this idea of a fundamental, I mean, that's right up there, right of religion and speech, a fundamental right under this so-called right to privacy to destroy an unborn child for any reason, no reason, don't have to give a reason for most of the pregnancy, even after a child could feel pain. That was extraordinary. It was breathtaking, Tony. Yes. And I'm not really sure you and I were aware of that in 1973, but there were people in South Carolina aware of that. And they started at that point, uh, South Carolina Citizens Rife, a little small band of people. I think they were from Orangeburg. And so we, when we put this in perspective, we've got 50 years, 50 yeah, years that's right. from that little group. And then, of course, we were joined um, uh, with, with the South Carolina Baptists. The, the, the Catholics actually led the establishment of that first little group. We need to give them their due. They do. And, they did. And then we had the Palmetto Family Council, what, about 20, 25 years ago that was formed. And we've had then springing up of 26 crisis pregnancy centers across the state, a uh, moment of hope with uh, and up here, the counseling that goes on at the sidewalks. This has, and, and the first strategy had to be was to blunt the effect of Roe. In other words, work around the margins to try to say, okay, Roe v. Wade said as long as a woman gives her consent. So we pass a parental consent law, you know. So we had to do two things. We had to chip away and blunt the effect as much as we could at the same time challenging Roe, hoping to overturn it. And so when the miss, when we passed the first fetal heartbeat bill, it was actually, we of course hoped that it would be upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court, but we were really moving to try to blunt the Supreme Court, but also tease them out a little bit. Would you take this case and overturn Roe? Is it right. time to overturn Roe? There was well, of course, the Mississippi case got there before our case got there. Right. And... But I think people need to understand it has been a long day coming. But since 1973, when that little group, uh, I think the first two were out of Orangeburg and then they formed in Columbia, there have been efforts along the way in South Carolina that have finally, um, they've finally given a lot of bloom here today with this Supreme Court. We have protected children. This is huge. To say, if you have a heartbeat in South Carolina, government is going to protect you. That is the first job of government is to protect innocent human life. Now, we've still got about a six, seven week gap there right. where children are legally protected. However, this is huge for the people in nursing homes who may they may want to discard or somehow diminish their personhood because of dementia or the child with with severe abnormalities, or the person who becomes disabled later in life, or the, or the war veteran who is left so disabled. What we're saying is if you've got a heartbeat, government's going to recognize that and secure for you your unalienable right to life in the Declaration. This is huge, Tony, just yeah. huge. Well, in, you know, when you think about it, um, we we knew when the heartbeat bill passed the first time that we were we were hoping to become, I think at that time, the 12th state with a heartbeat bill. We had 11 states. 
um, I believe, and South Carolina became the 12th, either the 11th or the 12th. That's right. And, and the reason for that was to add weight to the question of viability. We knew that the Supreme Court, if they were going to take this up, it was going to turn likely on the question of viability. And like you said, the Mississippi law got there first, but it did turn on that question. And I think that all of the activity that took place in the states prior to the overturning of Roe that led their that that lent their voice to the, to the growing call for moving back when an abortion can take place led to the was it, it had a lot to do with the overturning of Roe versus Wade so all those efforts that were done prior to the overturning of Roe fed into that final decision and now the work that's been done since the decision's been to overturn Roe has come down I mean, it's, it's been an incredible thing. Just to let people know, in South Carolina, we were at 22 weeks, effectively. Um, we were an abortion destination state. We were seeing abo abortion numbers that were far beyond anything we'd ever seen before. And this actually does two things today. It upholds the constitutionality of the heartbeat bill, and it does away with the injunction that prevents it from being enforced. So that law, as, as I understand it, goes in force immediately. We are now a state that, that does not allow abortions after six weeks. Um, the that, 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 yeah. is, that is exactly right. And there's plenty that can be done in that six-week period to give women information on the dangers of RU486, which right. is how most of those abortions are occurring. Right. We can uh, certainly help to increase resources to uh, women uh, and offer, make sure they have packages of information on what's available to them. Uh, they do that in, in some European countries, believe it or not. They're ahead of us on that. Um, they, there is so much we can do about educating the populace right now about the humanity of the unborn child, even before the heartbeat. So we have got so many opportunities to help to save those children and those mothers even between conception and the onset of the heartbeat the Absolutely. well of the heart. our crisis pregnancy centers uh, we have a network of crisis pregnancy centers in south carolina uh, we have good friends of course that are involved in that work alexa newman at the uh, carolina pregnancy center they do incredible work they're building a brand new facility. They're right right in the middle of that right now. They've got a mobile unit now. I mean, so many good things that are happening, services for women that are available. And women need to know in South Carolina that if they're pregnant and they, they believe that it's a crisis situation or they believe that it's a surprise or unwanted pregnancy, that there are plenty of resources for them and plenty of people standing in line to help them to make the decision for life, um, to, to have the baby and to uh, you know, to give the baby a chance for life. I'm just, and I'm so thankful now that our law in South Carolina is going to support that. Now, one thing we need to mention, there are some exceptions to the heartbeat bill. Uh, they are rape and incest, but that has to be reported. So that's an important piece of that exception, that it can't just be a claim. It has to be a legal claim that a rape or incest has happened. Um, we also have fatal fetal anomaly as an exception, and of course, life of the mother, which we've always in the pro-life community understood that the life of the mother could be a legitimate exception to because we're talking about a life and a life. 
those are always tragic decisions, but we understand that. But if we want this bill, if we want to go further than heartbeat, we need to understand that we need to educate the people of South Carolina. We need to, for everybody to know that if we're going to, if we're going to get back to conception, which the House bill that passed early on, the Human Life Protection Act would have, t- would have banned abortion in about two weeks. Um, if we're going to back up any at all down the road, and there'll be plenty of time to talk about that in the future, but we're going to have to change some seats in the South Carolina Senate. And, and pro-life well, people they, need to know that. That's true. That's true. And I think that we are at a, an important point in the Republican Party. First of all, I want to say, had it not been for the Republican Party inserting this in their platform, what, 40 years ago, right. there would have this would not be occurring today, I don't think, okay? Now, I'm not getting out of God's sovereignty here because in his sovereignty, it went in the platform, okay? So, but the bottom line is the Republican Party has kept this issue out there. There's no question. Right. Uh, we have lost about every venue, including many churches, okay, that they have lost really teaching about the sanctity of life. And so, Um, But because it was in that platform, at least in the primaries, the Republican candidates had to address it. It was a major issue to turn out the evangelical and pro-life Catholic uh, vote. I'm not sure that all of our politicians were ready when Roe v. Wade came down. I think the pro-life movement was ready. I think we were ready with educational resources. We were ready with legislation. We were ready with crisis care networks that had been established. I don't think that some in the Republican Party were ready to be able to defend why overturning Roe was a good thing, okay? Right, right. Uh, then, so we've got to equip people. We've got to firm up uh, our representatives and those who are out front who have to speak on this issue because it's a very, life should be a winning issue, okay? And the other thing we've got to do, I think, is to educate folks in our in our churches that when you you get caught in a conversation, uh, there are plenty of things you can say beyond I am I am pro-life. You know, you can defend it. You defend it. And so we've got work to do on that end. The other thing I think we've got to do is we've got to um, look at policies. We've got to look at community organizations, a lot of things to say, okay, what are some forces that are driving women to seek abortions for social and economic reasons? And to begin to address that at the same time of lifting up personal responsibility in sexual ethics. And so what I see is a wonderful opportunity here is that we can embrace life, that once we remove the use of abortion for birth control reasons off the table after the child has heartbeat. This is now a chance for the community to say, okay, we can't use that death as an option anymore. We've got to embrace life. We have now got to embrace life. And that, by the way, is going to be South Carolina Citizens for Life new initiative, which we will be announcing at our birthday party, our 50-year birthday party in January, that it's time now for all of us 
to agree death is not going to be used as a means of solving our social and economic problems at whatever age, elderly, whatever age, and we are going to embrace life. Amen. Well, we've, we've, you know, the church has a responsibility here. Um, We've got to create an atmosphere of life. We have to make the argument philosophically, theologically, um, and it all comes back to human dignity and the the imago Dei or the image of God that is in each one of us. Um, and and we need to to help people to understand that at conception that light that that image of God is present, and life deserves to be protected because of that because it has inherent it, it dignity and worth as a reflection of the image of God, and that's something that I I think. I made this statement in uh, a column that is coming out in the Baptist Courier, um, th- that'll be the next Courier, which comes out in September, about what are, what are we learning from losing these referendums like the one in Ohio? Uh, what is that teaching us? And one of the things I said, as I said, we've been very good at making the political argument, but while we were making the political argument, going on behind us was discussions about the essence of life. And while those discussions were happening, we were working in the political realm, and now we've got to work harder in the realm where we communicate philosophically and theologically why life matters. Um, I, I think that's part of the problem with people. They don't, with, with people voting in, some, in states like Kentucky and Ohio and Kansas, they don't understand the nature of life and why it's sacred and important and and that's our job as believers to make that clear. Right. And and when you don't understand that, you don't connect the dots right. on why this referendum to change the number that you need, uh, the percentage you need to pass or to change your uh, constitution. You don't understand why that's important to get out and vote for that. Right. You don't connect all those dots when you don't understand at that level. You know, you and I, I think, and we we didn't come to the party in 1973. In fact, I was on the other side of the issue, Tony, in 1973, as you know. I was a sophomore Uh, in high school in North Carolina in 1973. Well, Amy, you get a pass because, you know, but I was 21 years old. I mean, I should have had a little bit. I should have been waking up a little bit, but I didn't. It wasn't sold to me that way, that Roe v. Wade wasn't sold to me. It was so to me as a good thing, you know, and right. and um, I didn't I didn't understand the theological implications at that point. But now it would take a nuclear blast, I think, Tony, to keep you and me from going to vote on anything connected to the life issue, because if, if we perceive it's connected to that, we re, we understand if you don't have life, it doesn't matter if your roads get paid or what your tax rate is. Right. It doesn't even matter how much money you're sending over to Ukraine or any other issue, because if you're not here, you don't. If you don't have life, right. none of the other right, well, uh, none, nothing else matters. And if human dignity and the image of God in humanity is not something that we embrace. Not only does it affect, of course, the question of abortion, whether life can be ended in the womb, but it affects when life can be ended at any point. We're seeing laws around the the world now that are moving closer and closer 
to just euthanasia, just uh, where people uh, show up, they uh, maybe they say that that they don't want to live anymore, and rather than getting counseling in some cases, they're being told that they have the option to die. And this is a disregard for the sanctity of life. And, it, and, and when we lose it in, at one end of the spectrum, then we lose it across the spectrum. And that's why this argument's got to continue to be made philosophically and theologically. But today... Right. And I, yeah. I think it has implications on how we view each other with differences of ethnic differences, racial differences. Oh, absolutely. This is a crossroad to me. This is just right after, and God created the heavens and the earth. And when he says, and let's create man in our own image, male and female, I mean, that is the next like pivotal moment in creation. And I'm afraid the church is sensing things in bits and pieces sometimes and not the big picture as you talk about the world, the worldview. But you're right. Today is a day. Today is to celebrate. celebrate. Absolutely. We'll just, we'll celebrate and we'll continue to stand for life and to make the argument and uh, to present the facts. And today we give God the glory and we thank him and praise his name that he has been gracious to us and that he's used us as his servants uh, to bring, to bring this about. And uh, there's nothing to do but to give him praise, all the praise and all the glory. And in that, as part of that, if I may say, as president of South Carolina Citizens for Life, everybody out there, whoever cast a vote, whoever talked to a friend, whoever brought up the subject in a Bible study, whoever sent $5, $1 anywhere to help a crisis pregnancy center, to help Palmetto Family Citizens for Life, a pro-life legislator who was running, (laughs) who needed some stamp money. I right. mean, every everybody. I see it almost like the little boy who only had the loaves and the fish because the pro-life movement has never had money, Tony. You know that. Absolutely. But you bring, you bring your loaves and your fish and Jesus will break them. As long as we're thankful when we say, you know, I think about the fact I've, I've preached on this before. You know, if I'd been in Jesus' place and all I had to feed 5,000 was a few loaves and some fish, I probably would have been bitter. I would have said, you know, Lord, is this all you're going to provide? Instead, Jesus, being God, looked to the Father and he bled, He thanked God for the provision. And I think part of what we're doing right now is we're remembering to thank yeah. God for his provision because that's when the multiplication takes place. That's when Absolutely. the loaves and the I fish can, can you know, can make it out to everybody. So anyway, I Lisa. Guarantee, I guarantee if they could see us people down, we're outnumbered at the state house sometime by lobbyists, yes. people, et cetera, money, hundred to one in these referendums, et cetera, et cetera. But the flesh profits nothing but the spirit gives life. Amen. Amen. That's a great place to wrap up. Lisa, thank you. She's president of South Carolina Citizens for Life and one of my colleagues, and we've been good friends for a lot of years. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Tony. Okay, bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right, that's all the time we're going to take today. Now, in the morning, you're going to want to come back and check us out at 730 
because it'll be the regular time for Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. And we're going to have some guests on the show, as you can imagine, tomorrow. I'm already working on that. I already know that I have Senator Shane Massey, who is the majority leader in the South Carolina Senate, is going to join us for the show in the morning, and I'm working on getting some other people as well. So I hope you'll join us at 730, and we'll continue to talk about this uh, decision. We'll also tomorrow be talking about tonight's debate. Is